we are going to, um, I don't know how most of you guys um, pray when you pray to God, or how you talk to God, or your relationship with God, or whatever, and the great thing about that is, is that that's between you and the Creator, amen, and Jesus made it so it could be that way, and then Jesus even says, if you don't know what to pray, Jesus says, I have a really good prayer for you to pray. And we have turned, used that for athletics, but if you really look at how that prayer lays itself out, there's nothing greater that we can really pray to God than looking at God and saying, God, you are our Father and you are holy. Our Father who is in heaven, glory to your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth just like it's being done in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom with power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? And so we have all of these different ways that we can pray. We, we talk to God. We sup with God. We, we pray in our heavenly language, right? We get along with God. We have corporate prayer. And, and a lot of times when, when I get asked to speak, right, and God lays a message on my heart, I'm not going to lie to you. There's a lot of times in that Nissan Titan of mine that I have a conversation with God and say, God, can today... Just please be a marshmallow day. Can we have a Serta pillow day? Can, can we have cashmere sheet day? Right? Can we just go into the backyard and light a fire and make s'mores and, and have just a fun time? And the Lord reminds me that we have reached a day and time where marshmallows won't feed us anymore. Right? The Bible is very clear that there comes a point in our walks with God where we have to graduate off of milk and start chewing on meat. And if you have children, most of you do, when you watch them, the first time they put something hard in their mouth, something that requires chewing, that <coughs> and it freaks us out. But that's the way we have to get in our spirituality. We have to start chewing on steak. Because if we really are in the last days like we believe, you won't survive on milk and cookies. And so I'm telling you this morning, I don't care if you have followed God for 88 years or 8 minutes, the Lord has sent me here this morning to challenge you. Not offend you, not upset you. If, you, if those things happen to you, that's on you, not on me. I have come to be the mailman. If you don't pay your bill, it's not the mailman's fault. His job is to deliver your mail. Put it in the mailbox. Watch this. And then after the mailman delivers your mail, puts it in the mailbox and shuts the door, everything that happens after that is on us. If they deliver your electricity bill by mail and you don't pay it, you can't blame the post office. You can't blame the mailman. You can't even blame the one that issued the bill. And so today I have come to play the part of mailman. Amen.
Hallelujah. Preach it. We're just going to go ahead and get it all out of the way now. Okay? Because I, I want to tell you something else. I'm not here this morning for that. I don't care if you like this message. You don't have to shout at me. You don't have to clap at me. You can look at me ugly when you walk out the doors this morning. That's fine. But this Bible tells me to deliver you a message. So that I, look, look, so that I can stand like Pontius Pilate and wash my hands. Right? Uh, my, name is, my name is Hunter. I serve as a minister in this house. One of my duties in this house is, is I'm serving as the leader of our youth department. Which means that I get to stand over there on Wednesday nights and do this with your teenagers. And if you don't think that's important, don't call me when something bad happens. The Bible teaches us to train up a child in a way it should go. Did you know that that's not, that's not an age thing? We're supposed to train these kids while they're our children. When will these children ever not be your children? My mother, I am 36 years old. My mother still teaches me things. My father still teaches me things. You don't ever, you don't ever age out of being able to be taught. And one of the major problems in churches today is we have thought that we have become too mature to be taught. And then when calamity happens, then we want to be taught. But the best way to survive calamity is be prepared before it gets here. Did you know that your mechanic, look, look at how much faith we put in human beings. Your mechanic knows how to change your car oil before you show up. If your transmission goes out, he knows how to fix it before it goes out. Watch this. This right here knows how to fix our problems before they happen. But like Pastor Joe said last week, we have to be willing to follow instructions. My children have a problem following instructions, and it's hard for them. But if they don't follow instructions... There's punishment that comes. We read the Old Testament and we look at God and we go, how could God be that way? But if you look at what was going on, He told those people, if you do this, this will not happen. But if you do go ahead with this, we act like that God just woke up on the wrong side of the bed in the morning and go, you know what, 40 years in the desert. No, they spent 40 years in the desert because they wouldn't go in and occupy what He told them to do. They spent 400 years in captivity in Egypt because they, did, they would not follow directions. We are facing the problems we're facing today because the people in this book would not follow instructions. Adam and Eve did not follow instructions. King Saul did not follow instructions. Moses did not follow instructions. Did you know the reason why Noah and his family were saved in the flood? The Bible records it. They did everything exactly the way God said. 
If you don't believe me, this was not part of it, but we're going to read it anyway. We're just going to follow the Spirit this morning. Are you all okay with that? Good, because we're going to anyway. Listen at this. I've got to find it. I didn't plan to preach it, but I'm going to find it anyway. All right. So in Genesis chapter 6, it goes through the world going wrong and all the sins and how old Noah was and all of these things, right? And he starts talking about building this ark, and it took Noah a hundred years to build this boat. Some of us won't stay in this church. Ten minutes. Noah built a boat for a hundred years. A hundred years. A hundred years. It's hard for me to remain faithful for a hundred days. I'm sweating now thinking about doing it for a hundred minutes. I get mad when McDonald's doesn't get my food out in five. It's fast food. And it's slow. That's how we've conditioned ourselves. But Noah built this boat for a hundred years. More than a hundred. Somebody out there sitting there is going to catch me in the forehead and say, it was actually over a hundred years. But look at verse 22, just so you don't think that I was making it up. Verse 22, so Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Sometimes in life we need to go back when things go on in life and we start whining and moaning to God. God, why? What if God looked at us and said, did you do it exactly like I said do it? I told you to go forgive them, not just him. I told you to give X amount. Did you know even if even if your heart's in the right place, you still have to do exactly what God says. Everything exactly. We are living in a time now where we don't, we don't have the luxury of playtime. We don't have the luxury to goof around. If your mandate is the same as my, as my mandate, which is what the Bible says that it is, we don't have time to keep goofing around, to keep playing church, to, to keep this thing as just a checklist we do in the week so that we don't feel so guilty, so that we can look at other people and say, well, at least I'm better than them. We, we don't have time to play around. I'm going to tell you guys a story, the same story I told the students a couple of weeks ago. Because I like to do this, I like to teach some of the same scriptures in here so that you guys will know what your teenagers are getting over there. Because we have ice cream, we have pizzas, but we, 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 we do do Jesus. Because here, here's the thing, I'm going to rabbit trail just for a second. Here's what I don't want. I don't want your kids to stand before Jesus. Because we're all going to stand before Jesus. I don't want your children to stand before Jesus with a bowl of ice cream and a piece of pizza. And then Jesus, look at me. 
right? I told them this story. I, uh, I am a lawn care professional by trade. And if you're wondering what that is, I cut grass for a living. And I love it. There's some people that don't like to cut grass, and I don't understand those people. But I love it. I love it. And so we have, we, we have a lot of properties that we maintain. And we have a yard in Ayrton. And this gentleman, his name, Mr. Byron. And Mr. Byron was in, was in school with my dad. They were, they were in the same class in school. And Mr. Byron was a truck driver. And he had had some problems. And uh, uh, the, the pharmacist and the doctor prescribed him the wrong medicine. And he took the wrong dosage of the wrong medicine. And it made him sick. Made him very. And I would meet Mr. Byron for the first time about every, every other time I would cut his grass. If you guys understand what I'm saying. I would have to tell him how much it would cost when we were coming back. It was, it was just messed up. And he would always look at me and say, oh, you're Victor's son, right? And I go, yeah, Mr. Byron, it's me, you know. And I would get that little itch of, of, of it being aggravating. And I remember he can't help it. You know, we have those things like we do with our children and everybody else, right? And I remember going to his house, and we were in a hurry. I know none of y'all are busy and get in a hurry. We were in a hurry. And Mr. Byron would like to come talk, and I'm trying to be the pleasant Christian guy, and I'm sitting there like, come on, Mr. Byron, will you? I've got, I've got 12 more yards to do before I can go to the ball game tonight. You know, my wife's going to want dinner done. I've got to go. And I'm, I'm sitting there listening to him talk, and I'm like this. Come on. Two weeks, Mr. Byron. 80 bucks, Mr. Byron, you know. And so I take it, I'm like, well, you have a good week, Mr. Byron. And I run to the truck, and I sit down and crank the air conditioner on. I'm like, oh, my God, you know. And I fired up my drive off and I hear this little voice. Said, said for me to go back and talk to Mr. Byron. And I did what all good Christians do. I didn't listen to it. And so I'm driving down the road and here's my thought process was. We'll be back to Mr. Byron's in two weeks. He always comes out and talks to me two weeks so the next two weeks we go to cut Mr. Byron's yard on a Tuesday we cut his grass and we we'd eat the dog pen that can't you can't get a mower in I've got you know the worst dog crap all over me and it's and I'm standing there waiting I was like well Mr. Byron come outside please come outside we're in a hurry I smell like dog crap I'm ready to go home Mr. Byron never come outside so I'm just standing there stood there 15 minutes Mr. Byron never come outside I'm like, well, you know what, forget it. Maybe his daughter come picked him up, took him to Walmart. So we go about our day. Never thought about Mr. Byron again. Come Friday, my boss calls. He says, hey. He said, um, did you hear about Byron? I said, no, sir. We just cut his grass on Tuesday. This was Thursday. Did you hear about Byron? I said, no, sir. We just cut his grass. He's in the hospital. He said, Byron died Monday in his home. They didn't find him until Thursday in his home. That means that the appointment that I denied... He was in his home and already stood before Jesus while I was cutting his grass. And that is hard to reconcile. Especially for someone who stands up and tells everybody else to go into the world. And I pray, I have prayed for weeks now. Lord, I hope that in that two-week span, somebody else with some guts showed up. I hope some other Christian with a backbone showed up 
Because I'm going to tell you something. My wife will tell you there's not a lot that, that makes me afraid. I'm not scared of a lot. I'm terrified to stand in front of Jesus on Mr. Byron's behalf now. I don't think I'm going to go to hell because of it or anything like that. But I know I'm going to have to give an account for that. We don't have time to play around. This, this, cute, this cute stuff that we come in and do, this is all great, but we don't have time to play. There are people dying and standing before the Creator every day. We look at the news. I'm so tired of hearing the news and watching everybody post on Facebook and Twitter. We, we're the ones turning them into statistics. When those thousands of people died in Israel, we started blaming Israel and Hamas. The only thought I had was I hope they knew Jesus. Look, we turned George Floyd into a political thing. I hope that guy knew Jesus. Who cares about his politics? We are allowing the enemy to make things a racial issue. I don't care if you're white, black, red. The, 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 the song that we sing, Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. I don't care what color you are. All I care about is that your soul knows who Jesus is. It doesn't matter. We are getting caught up in tomfoolery. We have gotten caught up in nonsense, stupidity. While souls are going and standing before the Father every day. Every day. And we won't talk to our neighbor because they're a Democrat or a Republican. We won't pray for someone because they have a red hat that they wear that says, Make America Great Again. Who cares? If you believe it was great, never great, never will be great, who cares? Did you, let me tell you something. In the book of Exodus, God told them, put the blood on the doorpost. Did you know? Hold on before you shout. Did you know that that death angel that went through that, he didn't care what color those people were. He, look here. He didn't, at that point, he didn't care if they wanted to stay in Egypt or not. He didn't care if they agreed with Moses or not. He didn't care what denomination they were. He didn't care. It, the Bible said, make sure you have blood on your doorpost. The blood on the doorpost is the only thing. He didn't care what their opinion was. He was very clear. You make sure that blood's on your doorpost. Because when that angel comes around, it's too late. I don't know about you guys, um, but where I live in Ayrton, we go to Troy pretty often. And we were on the way back from Troy yesterday. And I don't know if you guys that come down 231, if you ever come down 231 from Troy, there's a billboard right between Troy and Brundage. And it has this statement on it, and it's a Christian billboard. And it says this, it says, are you preparing to meet Jesus? 
But this right here says that you better be prepared to meet Jesus. The problem is, is that some of us have been following Jesus for a long time and are still preparing to meet him. The Bible says you better be ready right now. If Jesus comes and put his big toe on Mount Sinai right now, if that blood is not on your doorpost, it's too late. Could you imagine the Israelites that were laid in their beds that night and they started hearing the screaming and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth? Oh my God, I forgot the blood! Because that's the other thing, that death angel, if you read the story, the death angel didn't care their nationality. He didn't care. The Bible told Moses was very clear. It doesn't matter if you're a Jewish or not. You better put that blood on your doorpost. And we have treated this place like, well, I go to church. I'll be okay. I don't get drunk anymore. I'll be okay. I don't do drugs. I'll be okay. I don't beat my wife. I'll be okay. But the Bible says without that blood on the doorpost, you can be the best human being on the planet. But if you don't have blood on your doorpost, you know, Jesus didn't die so that we could be good people. Jesus died so that when the death angel comes, you'll have his blood on your doorpost. It doesn't matter what nationality or race or color that I am. All that matters is that when God looks at me, I'm drenched in Jesus' blood. Right? That's all he cares about. The Bible speaks of it. And we've turned it into all kind of doctrination and theology about what did he mean when he said there will be no male and no female. That means when he looks at you, he doesn't care that you're a man or a woman. When, he, when, the, when the angel passed through the houses of the Israelites and through the Egyptians, he didn't go, house full of women, ah, we'll leave them. He didn't do that. He says when he looks at us, we're all the same. We either have blood or we don't. One of my favorite um, subjects in school was history. I like history. And, and there was this statement that goes around that used to go around that talks about we need to be on the right side of history. And the only time I care about being on the right side of history is if that right side of history is on the right side of the Father. I don't want to stand before God and go, I was on the right side of history. And he said, yeah, but you wasn't with me. See how the enemy gets us caught up into things but in history, in April of 1775, it was a spring night in, down here in the south. And we know that in the springtime, it's not exactly cool, right? It's warm. And if you're anything like me, I sweat all day long. The last thing I want to do is come home and then sweat some more. But in April 18th, 1775, at midnight, there was a gentleman by the name of Paul Revere we all know Paul Revere, right? Bibles, I mean of the Bible. History says that he noticed the British army was starting to mobilize and getting ready to attack. 
And that they had this system of lanterns to warn each other, right? And the system of lanterns, for some reason that night, was not working the way it was supposed to work. So Paul Revere made a decision. He said, you know what, the the old way of things that we've been doing, it's it's not working tonight. So the, the, the history books records that Paul Revere got on his horse at midnight and rode and rode and rode from town to town and warned people, the British are coming, the British are coming. Be prepared. The British are coming, the British are coming. Be ready. And as I was reading this, it said that as he went from town to town, he would inspire more riders and more riders and more riders. See, we don't ever listen, we don't ever hear about the other riders. We hear about Paul Revere. But it says that he rode through town screaming, they're coming, they're coming, be ready. Right here is a room full of Paul Revere's. That we are supposed to run through the streets of our neighborhoods, our high school hallways, our college hallways, our job sites, whatever it is, and tell people, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, be ready, be ready, be prepared, Jesus is coming. He tells us to do that. That's, that's, that's what we're here for. We live in such a time as this. It's not so we can sit in our recliner and see all the pretty things happening, right? We don't, ha- we don't get that luxury that we think we get to where the world's going to start going to hell and we're going to sit in our recliner and watch it happen with a bag of Cheetos and go, well, you know what? Jesus got me. If that's your philosophy, you haven't read this close enough. Pastor Joe taught it last week. We are supposed to occupy until he comes. There are things that we have to be doing. The the, the scripture where he says, go into all the world, that wasn't a suggestion. That was a job requirement. I want you guys to turn with me into Matthew chapter 25. I'm not really sure why I whistled. I just felt like the right thing to do. I'm sure the media team loved it. All right, Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is, is teaching the disciples a parable, which we know a parable is a story to make something make sense. And here's the thing about it. When we read these stories, we understand the spiritual side of it. And sometimes it's the natural side of the parable that blows our minds. But we have to understand, the disciples already understood the natural side of the parable. It was the spiritual side of the parable that blew their minds, right? Because we're reading parables and and the story seems so wild to us, but that's because it was their culture. It was normal for them. It's like if someone come to you and explain to you life in South Alabama, it would be normal to you. But I promise you, you move away from this place and go to Atlanta or go to Indiana and explain to them how we live in South Alabama, it blows their minds. Because our cultures are different. The way we live and operate is different. 
It freaks them out right now to know that it is 80 degrees today when in Indiana it's 30-something degrees today. It blows their minds, right? So this is another one of those parables that these disciples would understand the natural implications of it, right? And he starts off this way in Matthew chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids. This translation in New Living says bridesmaids. In the original Greek, it's translated as virgins. The kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to bring along extra oil. When the bridegroom... When the bridegroom delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were, they were roused by the, by, by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is, is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the other ones, Please give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going dim. But the others replied, we don't have enough oil for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were going to buy more oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready, those who were ready, those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked behind them. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling out, Lord, Lord, please open the door for us. But the bridegroom called back, Believe me, I don't know who you are. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the hour of my return. But I want you to understand something in this story, right? Because sometimes we'll read it and as the story goes on, we get caught up in, in the climax of the story where it talks about, yeah, there's ten of them. Five of them were foolish. Five of them didn't have enough oil. Five of them had to go and get more oil. Five of them got locked out. But watch this. All ten of them were virgins. Pastor Hunter, what does that mean? Because we don't live in a culture where this is taught very much. The Bible says when it says virgin, it means they were pure and holy. They haven't been perverted yet. They haven't been made unclean yet. They were clean and holy and pure. All ten of them were pure and holy. Can I tell you something? In these last days, it doesn't matter how pure and holy you are. What matters is, are you ready when he shows up? Now look, this is also not a story that says, okay, we don't have to be pure and holy. We can live like we want to. As long. No, they were all pure and holy. But even five pure and holy ones missed out because they weren't ready. And that, that word virgin there is not necessarily talking about their outward appearance for us. This is why the spiritual side of this blew their minds. When they heard ten virgins, their culture was, you didn't do stuff like that or they stoned you. Remember when Mary was fearful to tell Joseph that she was pregnant because she was worried about what he would think about her? 
This was normal for them. See, us, when we hear stories like this, we try to justify it all. But to them, this was normal. And I'm not trying to put anybody down about virginity. This has nothing to do with sexuality. I stand accused like everybody else. This is talking about the heart of the people. The Bible says there was ten of them. All ten lived a godly life. All ten of them went to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. Oh, no. Every Wednesday. They showed up to serve days. All ten of them joined the home team. All ten of them served in the children's department. All ten of them brought their teenagers on Wednesdays. All ten of them would go out and live Christian lives in front of their friends and colleagues. All ten of them would tell people how much Jesus loved them. But five of them weren't ready for the one they were talking about. Talk is cheap. I can talk to you about a Ford Mustang. I have no idea how it works. So when that Ford Mustang pulls up in front of me and somebody says, here, fix it. I might have to go buy more tools. I'm not prepared for this. I don't have the knowledge I need for this. But I'm telling you, when Jesus pulls up in his Mustang, are you prepared to jump in and ride with him? Are we prepared? The title of my sermon today is Be Ready. Be ready. When the bridegroom comes, make sure you have enough oil because you don't want to be caught at the store when he's trying to come in and have a feast with you. Think about it in the natural, in our realm, right? In our culture, in our understanding. If I was standing here like I was 13 years ago, and I'm standing here waiting on Kirsten, I don't ever do, but if I'm standing here and I'm waiting 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 and then when she finally gets ready to come through the door, I've gone to the back to the bathroom. I've decided to call it quits because I waited too long. Then I will miss. Right? I'm going to tell you a secret. Jesus tells us to stand here and be ready if we have to stand here forever. Are you faithful enough to stand and wait on the Savior? Some of us don't see the problems in our lives thrown into the sea because we quit before the foundation of the mountain shakes. Oh, Lord. A lot of us are shipwrecked in our faith because we put our faith in the thing and not the person who brings the thing. Did you know that when he tells you to speak to the mountain, the mountain's a problem? The mountain's a problem. 
Did you know when he withered the fig tree with his voice? It's because that fig tree was a problem to him. Notice that Jesus never said, if you'll go out in the parking lot and pray for a fire red chari- uh, uh, pray for a cherry red chariot. He says, if you'll look at that mountain in your life that's causing you a problem, and you will have faith to speak to it, it'll be removed. Some of us have put our faith in things, and when the things don't show up, we blame God. And we get shipwrecked in our faith because our faith is not in God, it's in the thing that God does. We put our faith in the gift and not the giver. Are you prepared to stand and wait even if what you're prepared, even if what you're believing for does not show up? Will you remain faithful? Moses mounted up that mar- uh, mountain without a lamb, but he believed there would be a lamb when he got up there. Abraham, I'm sorry, not Moses. Threw some people off. Threw myself off. I'm like, where did I read that? But look at this. Abraham still marched his son up that mountain. And he knew on his insides there's going to be a way. God's going to make a way. He's always made a way. But he still marched Isaac up the mountain. A lot of us will say, you know what? God's going to make a way. Isaac, you just stay here. Amen? In the last days, in these last days that we're living in, you can't afford to leave Isaac at home. You, 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 can't, you can't afford to not march up the mountain. There are souls that are waiting on us. Mr. Byron's soul was waiting on me. If Paul Revere wouldn't have got on that horse and rode out to tell everybody, they would have been surprised by an attack of the enemy. They would not have been ready They would not have been ready for what was coming, the destruction that was coming. We could even say, we could say it, we may not have won the war had it not been for Paul Revere. We don't know that. We may have. But he did do what he did and we won. Some people have a war raging in their lives. And you are the bringer of peace. I'm going to read this really quick. Talking about the, bride, the, the virgins and being where you are, where you're supposed to be, and being ready. The Bible speaks of this in Genesis. We talked about it, this in prayer this morning, which was made it amazing that we talked about it in prayer. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. This is after Adam and Eve have been created. This is after they've been given their duties. This is after they've been told what to eat, what not to eat. This is after... They disobeyed and ate what they were not supposed to. They didn't follow instructions. Even though it looked good, it looked right, they didn't do what God said exactly like God said it. And the Bible says in verse 8 of Genesis 3, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God, God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then God called to the man, Where are you, Adam? Now, we all understand, right, that God knew where Adam was, right? 
Now, sin had covered Adam and made him to where their presence couldn't interact with each other anymore, separate them. But God knew where Adam was, right? Me being here this morning didn't surprise God at all, right? Auburn winning yesterday surprised me. Didn't surprise God at all, right? Alabama didn't play yesterday. I would make a joke, but so tired of them. But Adam, God knew where Adam was. Here's the thing. God knew where he was, but Adam wasn't where he was supposed to be. Adam wasn't where he was supposed to be. The Bible says that he come out and was getting to walk through the garden with them like he did every evening. And Adam was not there where he was supposed to be. Adam was supposed to be there waiting for God to show up. And here's the most amazing thing about God. Is even in that moment, he knew what Adam had done. He knew where Adam was. And he still called out to Adam. He still loved Adam enough to say, Adam, where are you? Why are you not where you're supposed to be? We, we, we are living in the times of why are you not where you're supposed to be. But there is coming a time when the bridegroom's going to come. And if you're not ready, we're going to stand before the door and go, God, God. And I refuse in my life to have God tell me, I don't know you. We think it's funny to hear in the Bible where he says, he's going to look at some and some are going to say, but I preached in your name. I sang in your name. I spoke in tongues. I cast demons out in your name. And Jesus says, that's all well and good, but I don't know you. Could you imagine? We have to be ready. Have your lamps, have your oil, and be ready. Amen. And Mark... In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it starts out like this. And Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Pastor Joe spoke a sermon last Sunday in Luke 19. In the very last scripture in Luke 19, it says this. He says, Jesus is talking about himself coming back, right? Blew my mind. You know how many times I have heard Luke 19 taught as a scripture on offering? I know most of you have. Luke 19 was about the amount of money that was given. See, if you'll, if you'll do with this money, if you'll, do what, if you'll take this money and invest it, God will give you more money back. Until Sunday, I've never considered that this scripture, he was talking about what it's going to be like when he comes back. And watch what he says here. I'm going to find it because I want to parallel. parallel no, I'm not going to do that one. Parallel it. <laughs> Woo! All right, he says this in Luke chapter 19, verse 27. And as for these enemies of mine, 
Mark says this, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Luke 19, Jesus says, and as far as these enemies of mine who don't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right in front of me. Now I know some of us like to believe in the soft, plush, teddy bear Jesus. And, 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 and culture may be right. When Jesus was here the first time, he was all about love, right? He was all about redemption. He's all, but this Jesus that's coming back, he ain't about all that. Jesus ain't coming to play, right? When, when, when I picture Jesus, I picture Jesus coming like Muhammad Ali. I don't, I don't picture him coming back like a care bear. Where you squeeze him, everybody, love everybody. That's, 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 that's not what this book talks about. This book talks about when Jesus comes back, he's, the champ is here. The champ is here. He, look, look, a teddy bear doesn't show up and say, all them enemies of mine, bring them to me. I wonder if this is where they're going to go. But, but I preached in your name. I don't know you. And in the scriptures, he says, he gives an absolute, you're either with me or against me. I heard Tom Brady do a quote the other day when they were asking him his mindset when he played football. He said, I didn't have any friends on the other team. He said, when I went out to play, I went out to play. I didn't have friends on the other side. He says, go into all the world, preach the gospel, preach this good news, and these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages or tongues. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink any poisonous thing, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. Say, in the last days, signs and wonders will follow those that believe. If we go into all the world and preach the good news, I'm, I'm finishing up, I promise. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says this, As for the rest of us, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. What is good? The thing that he talked about in Mark. Go into all the world and preach the good news of Jesus and never get tired of doing that. First Timothy chapter 4. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close, but I want to read this before we get out of here. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 7, it says this. Now again, these letters from Paul are to churches and the people that put their butts in the seats in church. So don't think that these are just chastising the ministers and the worship leaders and and, 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 the, and the deacons, and nope, 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 this is for the people of the church. Remember how we all like to say, the church is not just the building, it's the people. Okay, that's who Paul's talking to. You and me, all of us. When he wrote letters to the church, he wrote them to the church. And we like to look and see, see, I knew my boss. Nope, he's talking to you, to me. 
sends a shiver up my spine. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life that is yet to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept this. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly all believers. Teach them these things and insist that everyone learns them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. I'm going to insert or old. Be an example to all believers in what you say, the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity towards God. Until I get there. Say, until I get there. Focus on reading the Scriptures in the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourselves into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those near you. Say, occupy till I come. We have to be ready. We have jobs to do. Whether we like to accept it or admit it or not, when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you got drafted into a war. A spiritual war that's not going on between flesh and blood, but between principalities. We are at war with the enemy. Make no mistake about it. The greatest thing is, though, is Muhammad Ali has already knocked Joe Frazier out. We just get to show up and stand in the ring. And if God tells us to march around the ring seven times, march around the ring seven times, not six and a half. If He tells you to build a boat, build a boat, not a race car, not a motorcycle. Build a boat. If He tells you to march up the mountain, march all the way to the peak. Don't get tired of doing what's good. Do everything God says exactly like He says to do it. If God tells you to show up to prayer, show up to prayer. If God lays on your heart to buy meals, buy meals. Do whatever it is that God tells you to do exactly the way He tells you to do it. If His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, don't get into intellectual arguments with God. If His ways are higher than our ways, don't argue with Him. Just do. Amen? We have to be ready. We have to be prepared. The time for preparing is over. You have to be prepared. The Bible says that Jesus will show up like a thief in the night. In the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says there will be, be men in the field 
One will be left and one will be taken. You have to be prepared when the bridegroom shows up. Make sure your lamps have oil. Make sure you're ready. We don't know if it's going to be in the next three minutes or the next three years or the next 33 years. We don't know. And anybody that tells you they know, don't listen to it. Turn it off. Don't send it to me. Don't send it to your neighbors. Your, nobody knows. I see the prophecies when people say, I know exactly the date and time. That's a lie from the devil. If Jesus says, nobody knows, that means nobody knows. If Jesus says to be prepared, if Jesus tells you to be ready, be ready. Amen? Before I get out of here, I'm going to ask two questions. And, and these two questions are this. Everybody stand up for me, please. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to reiterate something that Doc said a couple of weeks ago and Pastor Joe said last week. When Jesus, whom we believe is the Son of God, because we, we, we believe what the Scripture says, that Jesus was the Son of God. And the Bible says that He sat in that garden and He prayed. And He prayed this statement that says, Lord, not Your will, but my, uh, not my will, but Your will be done. Right? And so then they come and they arrested Jesus. And watch this. People watched Him get arrested. And they took him and they beat him uh, uh, to the inch of his life. And people watched that happen. And, and, and they took a crown of thorns and mocked him and shoved it on his temple. And, and they put a robe around his neck of sackcloth and made fun of him for being the king of the Jews. And people watched that happen. And then they marched him out in front of Pilate and he was half naked and beaten and bleeding. Spit on him, slapped him, made fun of him. And people watched it happen. And then they judged him as a common criminal. People watched it. And they drug him out and they put that cross beam on his back, made him march up the mountain, and people watched it. And they stretched him out and nailed him to the cross, and people watched it. And when they picked the cross up and dropped it in the hole, people were watching. And then as he sat there and prayed, Lord, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. People were watching. People were watching when they took him off the cross. And people were watching when they put him in the tomb. And I pray to God that we'll all be watching when he comes back. But here's the point in all that that I said. If Jesus wasn't ashamed to die for us with people watching, why would we ever be ashamed to accept him while people are watching us? Right? It's not embarrassing. It's not embarrassing. I, I guarantee you that if I took a thousand dollars and laid it right here and said, whatever it takes for you to come get it, come get it, some of you would look like complete morons to get up here and get cash. Did you know that the sin in life is not dignified? But we feel like we have to be dignified to come accept Jesus. I don't want to be ashamed. Right? 
So my first question is this. If you would say, Pastor, I heard the things you said. They spoke to me today, and I've never started a relationship with Jesus. I've never asked, I've never repented. I've never asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins, and I want to do that today. Before I leave here, if that's you, if you'll just raise your hand, I just, we're just going to pray from up here. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to make you come up here and give a dissertation or a speech or preach or whatever. I'm going to let Jesus work on your hearts to do that. Awesome. Thank you guys for your hands. My second question is this. And you would say, Pastor Hunter, you know what? I heard the things you said, and, and, and I have a relationship with Jesus. But somewhere, something has happened to where I've walked away, I've slipped away, I've had things go on, and I want to make sure that I am right with Jesus before I leave today. If that's you, if you'll raise your hand, we're all going to pray together. Awesome. 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 The Bible says that heaven rejoices when souls come back to Jesus. Not only that, it says that in the midst of heaven, God rejoices. It's an awesome thing. I want to read you this. In Romans, it says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Amen. And it goes on to say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. So let's pray. If you guys will repeat after me, we're just going to pray. Father God, here I am. I am sorry. Forgive me where I have sinned against you. I believe that Jesus is your son. That he came, he died, and he rose again for me. Now God, paint the doorpost of my heart with your son's blood. I love you. I honor you and give you the glory. In your name I pray. Amen.